And he says, let's go home. Because he knows where they are is not their home. That they've come to the end, that they're running this race, but where they are is not their home. And he yearns to be back there. And he, they're crying, and there's music in the background, and lava's flying everywhere. And it's just really emotional, just like chapter 3. Okay, there's this, it's not so emotional that it's going to make you cry, but these characters in here are crying all the time. Okay? It's, it's, it's not as emotional. There's not as much crying as, like, when some of you men watch The Notebook. Okay? Or when I listen to, like, Mark Schultz sing. I mean, when he starts pounding on the piano, and his voice, he lifts that soft palate. I mean, floodgates start coming. He's, a, he's magical. Okay? Now, it, but there is a lot of crying involved in this story, which I never realized before. So this sermon's going to be a little different. I preached about Joseph, talked about Joseph uh, in June. And so if you want more of a, a sermon that's going to kind of tell you from what happened at each point of his life, of each point in this story, go ahead and find that sermon online, ask for a CD. Uh, great. But this one's going to be a little different, okay? I'm going to talk about this story from three, about three different characters, from three different perspectives. The first one, obviously, is going to be Joseph. And Joseph was a typical younger brother, okay? That's who he was. Joseph was a typical younger brother. Where we left off last week was with Abraham, Isaac, and, jo- and Jacob. I don't remember. Okay, Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob. And in God's promise with Abraham. And he makes this covenant, this promise, this relationship with him. Okay? That God is going to do what he promises he's going to do. And Abraham, and we remember this scene. That Abraham finally has a son. And he's like 100 years old and well past the age that like anybody wants to think of, of him having a son, right? And he's, he finally has a son to his name right, that God blesses him with, that God promises him through, and and he says, you know what, Abraham? Sacrifice him, your one son. And Abraham's confused, and you remember, he's, he's ready to take his son's life, his one and only son's life, he's ready to sacrifice him, because God said so, because he remembers and he knows that God's promise is more important than his pain in this life. That the promise that God made him is going to always be more important than any pain Abraham can suffer in this life. And he never forgets it. And we see this, this same, the, the, that same idea with Joseph in this story. That Joseph, throughout everything he goes through, through the pits, through slavery, through temptation, through prison, okay, through everything, through drought, through famine, he remembers that the promise is more important than his pain. And that's huge in this story. Okay, Joseph, the typical younger brother, and he does this in a few different ways. One, he is the father's favorite. Okay, he is the, he is his father's favorite. And remember last time I preached this, for those of you who were here, I wore a colorful jacket I got from Goodwill. Okay, he, wore, he got this awesome, beautiful, richly dyed, ornamented, ornamented uh, jacket, right? And this is like an awesome gift at this time. It'd be like, it'd be like your father, for those of you who are the older siblings in here. It'd be like the father giving your younger sibling like a brand new car and just forgetting about your birthday, okay? It's insane. And these older brothers got to be ticked by it. But he's the, he's the youngest. Joseph is the youngest, father's favorite. Another way he's, he's part of it, he, he fits this typical youngest son, is that he's annoying, okay? I have two younger brothers, one of which is here, Samuel, okay? And he is annoying at times, okay? He, I remember there's this one time where it was Christmas, and he, he was young. He was like, you know, I don't know, 17. He's like 18 now. But anyway, and we were opening gifts at Christmas, sitting next to each other, and he was annoying me. 
okay? Now, I cannot tell you what it was because I don't remember, but I promise it was super annoying, okay? So what I did was justified. I'm sitting there opening gifts. He's annoying me, right? And he, he <laughs> I look at him, and I, I'm sick of it, right? And I'm the kind of brother that, like, I got to show, show him who's boss. I got to stand my ground, right? I mean, if, the, if dad's gone, I'm the man of the house, right? I'm the older son. So I, I, I take my fist, and I, oh, I just jack him in the side as hard as I can, as a loving older brother does, right? And I hit him as hard as I can in the kidney for some reason. And, you know, he starts bawling, and my parents are freaking out. Oh, he's going to die. You hit him in the kidney. Because he is the youngest son, right? He's annoying. So this is what Joseph does. And he causes his brothers to think, man, let's just jack him in the kidney, right? That's what they do for Joseph. That's what they're thinking, that, that kind of mindset. So he's, he's, he's the father's favorite, and he's annoying, but he's also the favorite son, the typical, the typical youngest son, because he's a crybaby, okay? I mean, yeah, those floodgates start coming all the time in this story. He's crying six or seven times. He is a crybaby. Granted, he's a teen. He went through puberty. He went through the stage of having acne and body odor, and hit with the realization that girls don't really have cooties. I mean, he went through this stage of life like most of you in here probably, okay, or hopefully, all right? So he was a teen, and he was full of emotion, right? And and, and even into his adult life, he is a crybaby. I mean, (sighs) Jacob, his father, had several kids by then, and he's probably used to this parenting thing by now, but he's he's probably nurtured his this son a little too much to make him a crybaby. And that's what happens, parents, when you do that for your youngest Trust me, I have two younger ones. You need to toughen them up, okay? That's all I'm saying. Tougher, toughen up the youngest one, all right? Okay, um, and so Joseph plays this favorite, this, this typical youngest son to a T, okay? Which could only make the rest of his brothers really ticked when it comes time for, for Joseph to share his dreams with his brothers, right? So he has this coat, and then he gets these dreams, of course, from God, okay? Which brings us to our next characters, the jealous older brothers, all right? That's our next character, the next characters in this story. The jealous older brothers, right? So they see, they, then because they're so jealous, they fall into this temptation. They fall into this temptation of, of greed and selfishness, and they become jealous. The temptation overwhelms them. And they start making this, this plot against Joseph. They make this plot against Joseph to take his life right? I mean, I, I imagine them kind of coming together in a big circle and huddling up, and they go, hey, here comes that dreamer. What should we do? And the other one's probably like, oh, I know. Let's hit him in the kidney. And the other one's probably like, no, let's just kill him. And they're like, yeah, let's kill him. Hands in. Ready? Okay, and so they're ready to kill him, but one of the brothers steps up and says, no, no, no. What good is it if we kill him? Let's just sell him and make some money off him, right? So what they do, he, he shows up, and they all agree. They rip off his colorful jacket. They dip it in blood and give it back to the father. Jacob, and they throw Joseph into a pit, and they sell him off to slaves, into Egypt, okay, they sell him as a slave into Egypt, okay, and in this whole time, Joseph doesn't waver, Joseph this entire time remembers that God's promise is more important than his pain, right, so these jealous, ooh, these jealous sniper, these jealous older brothers make this plot against Joseph, okay, but Unfortunately for them, the plot backfires. The plot against Joseph backfires. Joseph, he gets sold into slavery, and he gets bought by Potiphar, this big, the captain of the guard, the guy with the black hood and the big axe, you know, hair everywhere, and he is the worst one. You do not want to be sold to a slave to him, 
right? But everything Joseph does gets blessed by God. I mean, Joseph, he, maybe it was like, hey, go clean this. And he goes, and he goes, oh, wow, everything's clean. Well, hey, since you did that, uh, make my meal. Oh, wow, everything's clean, and now you've made my meal. Uh, uh, what else can I do? Go, go clean, go make the meal, and, and take care of my sheep. Oh, okay, wow, everything's clean. My meals are ready, and they're great, and my sheep are blossoming. Everything Joseph did, because he's a servant, because he understood the promise is more important than the pain, was blessed because of God, because he remained faithful. Right? So this plot backfires because eventually, after a series of unfortunate events and God's blessing mixed in, Joseph, once you read the story, you'll understand, Joseph becomes the highest, most powerful man in all of Egypt, except for Pharaoh himself. He's second in command. He has control over everything, right? Because of his ability to interpret dreams, just like he gave to his brothers, Right? And so he, he's given all this power, and he has all the, the, the he finally has this opportunity where for the, there's a seven-year famine. And because of his ability to interpret dreams, he is able to, to save Egypt, to save an entire dynasty, an entire nation. He's able to prepare for the seven years of famine and saves not only Egypt, but everybody who's coming in who needs food as well. And so just like everyone else, Joseph's brothers need food. So they scurry off to Egypt, and they, they get some food there. And, they, and Joseph, of course, recognizes who they are, and they have no idea who Joseph is. No idea they would expect him to be this, this kind of powerful uh, person, commander in Egypt. So they don't recognize him, okay? And Joseph has this opportunity now to destroy his brothers, to take his brothers in his hand, just put him into slavery, to kill him, to hit him in the kidney, whatever they wanted to do. He had the power to do that, the opportunity to do that, okay? But he doesn't do it. Why? Because the plot was forgotten. Although the, pla- the plot backfired, Joseph, remembering that the promise is more important than his pain, the plot was forgotten and was forgiven, okay? Now, this brings us to this period, this point where the brothers are in front of Joseph, not knowing who he is, brings us to our third character, Judah. And Judah is the unexpected middle child. And he's unexpected in a few different ways. One, if you turn with me to page 30. Page 30. The middle of page 30 is where I'm going to read from. Okay? This is the time, if we go back with me to the pit, Right where they're huddled up and making this plot against Joseph, Judah's the one, if you remember, that steps out. And he says, in the middle of page 30, Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. I mean, after all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. Well, thanks, Judah. That's really big of you to step up for your brother like that. It's a great softened heart. But he actually really does have a more... Uh, softened heart than his brothers. And so he makes this attempt to save Joseph, right? He makes this unexpected middle child, makes the attempt to save Joseph. And I think that's what the middle child does. Kind of tries to maybe make some peace. Maybe in, your, in my case, he tries to ruin the peace. But uh, some try to, try to bring the peace and try to, you know, make everyone happy or try to satisfy all needs, you know? Just kind of be in the background. And he makes this attempt to save Joseph, And then if you turn with me to page 39, 
we've come back to the point where his brothers are before Joseph's presence. And Joseph is, has all the power, and he's starting to give into this temptation a little more. And he tries to, he threatens them to enslave Benjamin, the actual youngest brother. And all the brothers are freaking out because they remember how, how the dad took it when they got rid of Joseph. It was awful. And Judah steps up. On page 39, Judah says, top of it, Now then, please let your servant remain here, Judah himself, as my Lord's slave in place of the boy Benjamin. And let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come on my father. He can't take it again. Once was enough. Once was enough. So he makes this attempt to save his brothers. He makes another attempt to save his brothers, his brother's life, and the rest of them as well. Because they know they're at, uh, they at the mercy of this, this, this man. And what does Joseph do? If you keep reading, he can't take it anymore. And Joseph has everyone clear, everyone leave his presence except his brothers, and he tells them who he is. And guess what he does? He says, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers, and he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. He's crying again. He's weeping again. You see, Judah, there's a story in here that uh, um, isn't told in this version of the story. We actually have to, have to go back to our Bibles to hear the story about Judah. And if you've read it from this version, you'll see that in the, the very beginning, it kind of cuts off the Joseph narrative to tell a story about Judah and how he slept with this woman, Tamar, who was his daughter-in-law. Right? Because here's what happens in the story. Judah attempts to save his own line. Judah attempts to save his own line, his own family line. And see, what happens in, in the story is, is Judah has three sons, Ur, Onan, and Shelah. Okay? And, and Ur goes off, so this is right after he sells Joseph into slavery. He goes off to a Canaanite area, gets a wife, has these three male sons. Ur finds a wife himself named Tamar, which, is, which now becomes Judah's uh, daughter-in-law. And God looks at her, and he says, and the Lord looks at him and realizes that the scripture actually says that Ur was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. Oftentimes we talk about God, and we talk about how, how loving he is, how he's our best friend, our dude. He's our, he's our father. He's the one that can, we can cuddle with and hold tight, and he's like a teddy bear figure. And we forget the other side of God. And so what happens with, what happens with uh, Tamar then is that Judah has a responsibility to still get grandkids, okay, to carry on his line. And so he has Tamar, which is, as the law says, Tamar was given to Onan, the next in line. And if Onan was able to have kids, it wouldn't be his, as the ritual says. The, the kids that Tamar would have would still be Ur's. That child would be the son of Ur, not Onan, right? And Onan, the second brother, wasn't okay with this. He wasn't okay with it. He thought, I want my own kids. And so he performs an act that is so evil that God looks at him and thought it was so evil that he, again, put him to death as well. And Judah's probably freaking out by this point, thinking, okay, 
You've killed two of my sons. I have no grandkids to carry on my name. My third son is too young to marry Tamar. What do I do? And eventually he takes it into his own hands, and he goes and he sleeps with a prostitute. Just as Abraham did, just as Adam and Eve did, just as Cain did, he takes matters into his own hands because he's impatient. And he sleeps with a prostitute, and he was tricked because this prostitute ends up being his daughter-in-law, Tamar. And we think, we look back and we think, how could that happen? How could they, first of all, treat Tamar like that? She is a woman. She should not be handed back and forth between men. She's not some piece of meat to oogle at, right? And we think, how could, how could Tamar do that? Sleep with, ugh, sick, okay? But we realize that there's something else going on here. There's something else going on in this story, okay? In this society... They had to have grandkids, male kids, to carry on the family name. And that's what Judah does. He tries to make this attempt to save his own family line. And I hope, I hope by the end of it, I hope he realizes that he, is, he himself is unable to save anybody. And oftentimes, we think we can do that ourselves. Oftentimes, we think we are able to save our husband. We can save our wife. We can save our kids. By making them go to church and making them read and doing all this stuff. We, just as Judah, cannot do anything. We cannot save them eternally. No matter how faithful you are, no matter how much knowledge you know about the Bible, you are not saved by your faith in the Bible. You are saved by Jesus Christ and His grace. You see, the importance of this story, why it kind of is so weird and fits into the Joseph narrative, is because down the line... Although Judah messes it up, God still uses him. And from Judah's line comes one who's going to die on a cross to save all of us. To save the world, Jesus Christ. The one who will eventually save his line and save us. See, Joseph remains faithful through everything he does, because he remembers the promise is more important than his pain. And far too often, we forget this ourselves. And we try to make it look, we make it look like the pain is our goal. Because we give in to our temptations of lust, of greed, of pride, of selfishness, whatever it may be, we give in. And all temptation will ever bring is pain. And we seem to forget that God's promise is far more important than our pain, our pleasure, whatever it may be. We push the promise aside to, to follow our own temptations. All we do is we become deceived by that evil, slippery serpent. If you turn with me to page 42, the, we've come to the end of chapter 3. We've come to the end. The very last paragraph, very last line. So Joseph died at the age of 110, and after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. And that's it. That's all he gets for his death. He dies, put in a coffin, that's all we hear about Joseph's life. And we often, we congratulate him for being a hero, but really, he's not the kind of hero we want. He's not the kind that's fighting wars and battles and being strong and manly. He's not the hero we want. Because he's not defined by his heroic acts. He's defined by his character. He's defined by his faith. 
I'm going to have some students uh, come on up. If, if uh, I've asked you three to come on up, go ahead and join me up here on stage. Uh, to, today, we're going to do something a little different. I'm going to interview some students up here who have, who have kept in mind that the promise is more important than their pain. That regardless of what may happen in their schools, in their life, in their families, they're dedicated to following the promise. And they do this in different ways. By attending different, different events, by, by reading their, their Bible, by talking to their friends. They do this in different ways. And that's what they're each going to do here this morning. Is We're just going to talk about some stuff that's kind of been... Now, if you want to grab the, the microphone. We're going to talk kind of about each one of them. How they, they're going to represent some different things that we're doing in youth groups. Um, so, would you please uh, introduce yourself, young sir? You look good today, by the way. All right, I'm Brady Thomas. Woo! How old are you, Brady? Uh, 17. 17. Good deal. Anything special you'd like to tell us about yourself? No? Nothing interesting? Okay, go ahead. Who's, who's next? Who's this? Elizabeth Siebert. Woo! Elizabeth Siebert. How old are you? 15. And something interesting. Yeah. Okay, nothing interesting about our youth so far. Which, and your name oh, is? I'm Ashton Wakeman. This is Ashton Wakeman. How old are you, Ashton? 16. You are 16. What is interesting about Ashton Wakeman? <laughs> Tell me. I don't know. Nothing. Brown, brown babies? Brown Can you babies. say that? Okay. Like okay, okay. So you are all up here for different things. Would you please uh, share with us a little bit about um, what kind of you've been doing or your thing, your event, your activity within the youth group? Or what did you attend? Well, I went to CIY over the summer. CIY, and tell us a little bit about, for those of you who don't know, tell us a little bit about what CIY is. Well, uh, every day we pretty much gathered and learned about the Bible, and we also learned about the story of Joseph. Learn about the story of Joseph. Cool. Is this like a, and this is a CIY, stands for Christ in Youth. It's a, a conference that these students get to go on. Um, it, it, a week-long conference in the summer. A lot of our students went on it. Um, and it really takes them out of this world that they live in, here in Mount Pulaski, and puts them into a community of other Christian teens, where they get to worship the Lord and, and get to be able to learn more about this, this year's was Joseph, different stuff. Uh, Elizabeth, tell us a little bit about what you did. Um, I went on a work camp this year, and basically your youth group signs up for a work camp and travels to a city almost anywhere in the United States. This year it was in New York. Um, so we went down there, and when you get there, you get assigned groups for the week, and those are your crews, mm -hmm. and your crews will be assigned a house that you get to work on. So every morning, you go in for a morning session, and you get to learn a little bit about what you're going to be talking tonight. Um, you get told to look for God sightings, which is any way you see God in the community or the house you're working at, and then you get sent out to your house, and you work on it for almost all afternoon, about 9 to 3-ish, three yeah. I think, and yeah. then you head back to the school that you stay at, and you get free time, and then you get to go to an evening, ses uh, evening session and cool. learn really deep about the message cool. that week. Cool. This one, these are all over the nation. Where did uh, you guys attend? Where did we, we attend? Atten we attended in Jamestown, New York. Jamestown, year. New York this year. Cool. Can you tell us a little bit about the one you did? The, the work, the work uh, site you were at? Um, I was at a house for an older woman who had, I don't know exactly how to say it, um, MS, okay. basically. I really can't yeah, pronounce it. Fine. But um, so we had to scrape her windows, paint, uh, prime and paint her windows. We primed and painted her kitchen. 
and we stained, redid the steps on her porch, her front porch, stained and redid the steps on her back porch. Cool. Cool. Thank you very much. Awesome. Yeah, Ashton, tell us a little bit about what you've been doing with the youth group. Okay, well, we go to small groups every day, like every youth group. We break into small groups, and that's like where we just go, like, and we talk about what we just learned, but in like smaller groups that we're more comfortable with, and like, we can, like, we're not, like, if you're not comfortable talking, like, with a whole group of, like, youth group, you, like, we're smaller and more comfortable. <laughs> that's cool. Can you tell us a little bit about, are there anything that you've done with your small group this past year? Well, for Christmas, we went shopping for a little girl, and we went to Walmart. And we went shopping. We went to Goodwill, too. We got ugly sweaters. That's awesome. And, <laughs> and we went to Steak and Shake. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's fun. And we hang cool. out. Good deal. Um, Ashton, could you tell us a little bit about how you think small groups has, uh, has affected others in the youth group or maybe in your group? How has it had impacted? How has it impacted other students? I think small groups are good for us. Like, we're, we've gotten way closer. Like, our group, I know especially, like, we're all really close. And I think, mm-hmm. like, that's a good way to, like, become closer with people is be in small groups. That's awesome. How have, uh, how has it impacted yourself? I'm closer with everyone in my small group. Like, I can talk to Rachel and Joe Ellen about, like, anything. And everyone in my group, like, I can talk to. It's awesome. It's awesome to have someone that you can go to to kind of share what's going on. Because teens have crazy things going on in their lives. So, it's cool. Elizabeth, how about yourself? How do you think work camps has affected other people? Um, It's cool to see because at the beginning of the week, you don't know anyone you're with. Mm -hmm. So you you become much closer to them, and your crew by the end of the week is another family. Mm -hmm. And it's so cool because you're with them um, almost every night for the evening sessions a lot. So you get to talk about God. You get to talk about each other with other people that you didn't even know. So it's cool to see that you can just um, talk to a lot of other people mm-hmm. about things that you might not, like yeah. people around your area. Yeah, how has it impacted uh, you specifically? Has it, did it challenge you uh, in your faith at all? Did it affect you in any ways that you didn't think were going to happen before you went for the trip? Um, well, it's a ton of fun because you get to help people all week. Yeah. So you do give up a week. This year, because it was in Jamestown, we gave up almost two weeks of our summer to go to this. Um, but, like, the lessons are so deep. You learn things, and you think about things that you wouldn't have before. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's cool. Thank you. Yeah. Brady, how about yourself? How did uh, COI, do you think, how has it had an effect on the rest of the youth group or other students from other groups that went? Um, when we were there, we got, um, these, like, cards to become kingdom workers, and they pretty much challenge you to do. Each person gets one? Yeah. And each person in each group got a Kingdom Worker card, and you, it's pretty much like a challenge to, like, give up something or learn about something new or, s- like, start something. And Cool. What about, what was yours? What was your Kingdom Worker card that you received? Well, mine was one I couldn't do because I wasn't old enough. It was about <laughs> Yeah, it's about it's about one I was supposed to just like learn about somewhere than go on a mission trip, but yeah. I wasn't eighteen so I couldn't go on it. Yeah, and these kingdom worker cards, they're these students each receive something completely different. I mean, there were ones about going on a mission trip, there were ones about uh, helping orphans, there were one about even giving up Facebook and Twitter, which is extreme to these students sometimes. I mean, these are all over the place, something that would challenge them differently. How did CIY 
if at all, did it challenge you um, or affect you? Um, well, it challenged me to like want to become more and help out more. So I started helping out with Big Wednesday also. It's hmm. awesome. Youth Hub. That's awesome. Cool, yeah. And, and these are just a few of our students that several went on and done tons of different things we could have uh, different students come up and talk about. That have really, and you guys can take a seat. Thank you very much. Give them a round of applause. Yeah. Yeah, and these students all go in the stinking. These students all uh, were challenged in different ways, and our students all. And, I, and my, my goal, our goal as youth leaders, is to challenge them in where they need to be challenged, to cause them to grow in their faith. That hopefully, that when they leave here, when they walk out these doors for the last time, they're able to remember, not by us, not by our leaders, not by their parents, but they are able to grow and they're able to remember that the promise that God has made for their life is more important than any pain, than any pleasure, anything they can pursue themselves. What I want to do now is, is with the rest of the students, um, all uh, junior high and high school age students, please go ahead and, and stand up, okay? Now I understand you guys may feel awkward about standing, but just do it so they can see your beautiful shining faces. Um, and here they are, look around, these are, just a f- these are some of our students here. Okay, and they all have different stories and, and, and different walks, and they're all different places in their faith. Okay, and so what I want to do now is I want the rest of the church to go ahead and stand up and kind of crowd around them. Guys, if you guys are standing by other students, go ahead and spread out. Go ahead and go around the aisle, in between the aisle here, and kind of spread out so people can gather around you. Because what we're going to do as a church this morning is I want you to place your hands on them, and we're going to pray for them. What I'm going to do is I'm, we're going to pray a few different things. Is I'm going to, I'm going to lead the prayer. I'm, I'm going to sh- ask you guys to pray for a specific, uh, specific idea about them. And you guys within, around your student, one of you just go ahead and start praying for them in that category. And, I, and a little bit later I'll say the next thing, and then I will close in a final prayer. Um, so first, uh, pray for parents and the families to lead these students well. Yeah, hold on. Pray for students to be light in their schools and in their communities. Pray for our students, 
for, for God to guard them against temptation. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these students in this room. Lord, I ask that today has been an encouragement to them. Lord, fill them with a double portion of your spirit, that they can be be ready to be the light in their school, to be the light in, in their family and their friends, that others can look at these students here and not see these students, but see Christ. Or at least to be able to ask them, why is your life so different? Why do you live this way? Lord, guard these students from temptation. We know that there's plans against us from the evil one. But we know you are more powerful. And we know from your word that if we draw close to you, you will draw close to us. You'll never let us go. Help these students to remember that your promise of eternal life is so much more important than our pain that we could ever endure. Lord, I thank you for these students and the young men and women they're growing to be. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.